Lordy, lordy, that last show was a long one, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just about recovered. Listeners, I hope you are recovered. Um, And uh, just before I hit the record button, my learned colleague uh, was chomping at the bit for pushing out another four or five shows this week. So uh, watch this space. Graham, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you, Aidan. It's it's good to hear you feeling slightly fresher because you, by the end of last week's show, you did sound broken. I think we killed you with podcasting. I was I was knackered, and it wasn't. It, <laughs> and 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 God God bless the listeners. It wasn't because of, of the lack of talent in the submissions. The submissions were awesome, but I was really flagging. <laughs> I'd had a long, long day in the office, and then to come home and record a four-hour podcast. Well, I apologise, listeners. He did. I think Johnny had to go and record another one fairly shortly after he was done with us. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there we go. There we go. And uh, no, luckily we edited it down to a mere two and a half hours or so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sure what you have planned for us tonight, Graham, is not going to take that long. Is it? It's not going to rob our listeners of that much of their lives. <laughs> You mean it's not going to bless the listeners with that much wonderful entertainment? Well, who knows, Abe? We'll see how long we can stretch it out, because I know how much you love a good long show. Um, No, I'm sure we won't. Well, I'm relatively sure we won't. Well, we might do. We'll see how it goes. But we have got just one of our favourite... You know, I'm not even going to say guests at this point. I'm going to say co-hosts. Uh, one of our Because, you know... Because we know we we get him on fairly often um, because he's a delight. Uh, although last time he was on, he kind of messed up quite badly. Um, I'm not sure I agree uh, with that. Mm, well, <laughs> you're biased, uh, but we'll we'll move on from that. It is a delight to welcome back to the show, Eric. Eric, it's great to have you back live and in person after your audio diaries. No, oh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm kind of your uh, Jay Leno, I guess. Do you have a lot of expensive cars? No, not not in that way. No, maybe you're you... you're a senior hall. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, well, I say it's nice to have you back live and in person. I mean, I, I quite literally mean that. Following on from your uh, last communique, um, actually, I got an email here sent in um, a couple of days after the last show and oh, the previous show went out from Malcolm Myers, which simply reads, "Wow, quite a hair-raising time for Eric there." Please thank him. I really enjoyed his audio diary, but I'm especially glad you made it out okay. Regards, Malcolm, um, which is a lovely email, a lovely sentiment. Oh, and we you, had Malcolm. a lot of people reaching out saying how much they enjoyed hearing your adventures, um, especially that last one, which was, oh boy, <laughs> that yeah, was a journey well... we all went on together. How was your trip, Eric? Overall, it was generally pretty good. I learned to deal with loneliness in some really interesting places. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. <laughs> and so from here on, I'm, I'm basically just, when I'm posting photos online on them, I'm writing mostly about, about traveling alone rather than photography. And it's kind of interesting. Because this was the first time you went on this epic trip on your own, wasn't it? Your better half has historically gone with you, hasn't she? Yes, yes, and there's apparently a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, how did you find? I mean, obviously we heard some of the uh, hi- uh, highlights. Seems like maybe the wrong word, but some of the notable experiences. But how was the experience of being away for that long in these very isolated um, places on your own? How did you find it? You're going to do it again? Yeah, I would. I would do it again. Yeah, I would absolutely do it again. But um, 
loneliness is is kind of crazy. It's a crazy thing. Being lonely in a city is one thing because um, there's always people around you. It's not real loneliness or it's kind of the depressing loneliness. But when you're lonely in the middle of a prairie, there's some really hard hard things you got to overcome to kind of keep going. And yeah, it was it was rough. There were some nights that were incredibly difficult for no real reason. There wasn't like you know, things I had to, were canyons I had to climb out of. It was just dealing with yourself and, and your thoughts and, and, you know, trying to question, like, why are you here? And all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah. has, has, it, has it made you want to, uh, you know, reconfigure your photography and maybe become a portrait photographer or a, wed- <laughs> or a wedding photographer or, uh, yeah? Uh, no, I still want to photograph depressing things, so... No, I'm still still gonna keep doing, still gonna keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, no, nothing, nothing changes. Just, uh, just that. Actually, it makes me want to do large format a little more, uh, just because it it's it's more of an involved process and it keeps your mind focused on something that's not your mind. And yeah. that's kind of it's it's kind of a saving thing with large yeah. format. Because you went out with a, a newly purchased uh, Intrepid Mark III, didn't you? Nitro 4x5 yes. Mark III. Yes, How I did... ordered it when they had the Mark II, and for some reason they sent me the Mark III, and I can't thank them enough for that mistake. <laughs> so it was wonderful. I loved the camera. I loved it. There's a few mods that I made to it to make it a little bit more for me, but for the most part, I just absolutely love the camera. My favorite camera hands down right oh, well, tell, tell us about the mods how do you mod a camera like that um well the front movement when you screw it down it's sometimes a little loose so i wrapped some gaffer tape around it just to kind of get the the um the connection a little bit a little bit tighter and then i put the it ships with a little um like plastic shield over the over the uh over the ground glass and i put some tape around that to kind of give it a tighter fit so i mean that's really it that's the only mods that I did to it. All right, they, they, that sounds like that sounds like a travel package to me. <laughs> like, yeah, if, you, if you're yeah. out and about with it, yeah. I, I want to throw in another quick email here because it will kind of lead on to something I want to ask you about with regards to airbeams. So this one's from Nigel Cliff. Um, Nigel writes in Warrow Sunbeams. Now I know you're going to call me a wimp. We would never do that. Uh, but I just went out with the wife and mutt, and for the first time since the digital revolution arrived. 15 years ago probably i took just a film camera and no digital safety net it was quite liberating and took me back to the days when you couldn't look at the back of the camera to check the shot was okay hopefully the newly acquired canon sure shot supreme won't have let me down boston show from nigel thank you very much nigel but that brings me to something I, you went to these incredibly remote places that i'm guessing there's very little likelihood given how big your country is and how much there is to see that you're not going to go back to again probably not with nothing but film cameras yeah in some as we heard last week reasonably extreme conditions uh do you is there any part of you that worries at all about what what if i just don't get anything when i get there no because i still i mean the process is almost I mean, I'm going to say as important as the product for me. So I'm there, and I think that's due to large format, honestly. So I'm there, and I'm, you know, I'm 
going through like the half hour or whatever it takes to, to kind of dial in the shot. And it's wonderful and it's amazing and I'm having a wonderful time. Um, and if I get nothing, I still have all of that. It's going to be a bummer if I don't get anything. You know, I've, I've developed a lot of it and I have. I've gotten quite a bit. But there's some shots that I didn't get. There's some shots that I really messed up. And it's a bummer. But I have the experience of creating that photograph that I that I screwed up somehow in developing or maybe in, you know, in, in you know, setting it up or whatever. But I still have that experience of being there in the moment and taking that photo. Mm. See, so I can totally I'm, relate to that. Right, yeah. So, so let, let's just get one thing clear, right? Film cameras are not crap. <laughs> when i when i when i went to bhutan last year which is a place if i get to go back there i that um it, i'll be very surprised but uh, it was an amazing amazing trip and i talked about it a lot of the time so i won't go over that again now but i just took two film cameras and i took two film cameras because i wanted to have different speeds in them you know sure. uh i didn't i didn't say oh I, in fact actually it was a, it was a, a very conscious decision is i know i am not taking a digital camera i am not taking a crutch with me and of course, you know, because when you travel, you always have at least a phone with you. Yes, of course, I had a digital camera with me and I took the occasional phone snap. But that's not that. Yeah, that wasn't part of the, the, the photography I was going there to do. That was just, you know, the odd snapshot. So, yeah, no, film cameras are not crap. And it's OK to go out into the wilderness or, 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 or anywhere with just film cameras, I think, isn't it? I'm, I don't, wouldn't you say, Eric? It's it's. And for, not now, but at first, when I when I switched back over to film, it was a little nervous. You know, it was it was it was like, oh, what if I don't get this? What if I don't get this? And you know, I guess this after a few years, you realize that it's not about you know showing it on Instagram or Flickr. It's about taking the photo. You know, like I'm going to take some pictures. That's what you're doing. You're not you're not you're not developing. You're not showing. You're taking pictures, and. I think it's really an important pro- part of the process that that I think digital is probably not for everybody, but for a lot of people, digital has kind of erased that. I remember many, many years ago, I think it must have been back in, I don't know, 2003, something like that. I watched some program at the time. I, I, I can't remember any of the context, but all I do remember was somebody talking about the fact that, you know, we go to traveling, go to these amazing places, and um and we'll take pictures and a lot of the time we're looking at these incredible things through a camera rather than even looking at it with our own you know unvarnished eyes and what they suggested was you know rather than just going around clicking away shots of everywhere draw draw a picture of the things even if you're not very good at drawing just draw a picture because you'll stop and you'll really look at the thing that you're there to see um and I mean, I actually tried it, I think maybe once and I really suck at drawing. Um, but I, <laughs> Me too. I, I wonder whether large format really goes quite a long way to being that happy middle ground. Because as you said, Eric, you you need to really stop and slow down and look and study the shot and think very carefully about what's going because you've got very few frames to work with. You know, there's much as you can be bothered to carry with you, basically. Um, do you Do you find that you are absorbing more of the places you're at by shooting large format than you perhaps do when you are going around shooting 35 mil or medium format. Yes. Um, because every shot I took, I took probably 115 sheets and every single shot I remember, I can look at it. I can even look at the notes 
and just like, oh yeah, I know exactly what, what I was what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was looking at, and why I took the picture. Um, I can't, you can't do that with 35 and, and 125 and 120. Um, I mean, you can, but I, I don't. So yeah, with large format, you're there, you're there for 10 minutes at least. You're there in one spot looking at one thing for 10 minutes. If you don't remember that, I don't know, I don't have to tell, I don't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to tell you. But no, of course, it, it definitely helps. It definitely, you soak it in. Yeah, I mean, I know when in a small amount of traveling that I've ever done, um, I know that I've got pictures of places I went to, and you you go to these, you spend so much money and travel so far to see these incredible things, and quite often you'll spend more time looking at the picture of it than you ever did looking at the thing when you were there because you just don't you go click okay what's the next thing I need to see what where am I going next? Yeah. Um, there was one notable occasion where this was in New Zealand and um, I I had lost I went to Australia with contact lenses I, I wore at the time permanent contact lenses so I went to Australia with the one pair of contact lenses that I just wore and no backup contact lenses or indeed glasses because that's sensible when you're going halfway around the world <laughs> and then I lost one contact lens on um, riding a horse on the ranch in the very dusty well just lost one I rubbed my eyes to get dust out my eyes like, well that's gone and probably trampled beneath the horse and some cattle so that was gone so, well I need I need one lens I'll just squint a bit and then uh, I was in New Zealand some weeks later uh, and I was having a wake for my cat got very very drunk and lost the other lens and the next day I was doing um a walk luckily with a group um over what's called the Tongariro crossing which is a 19 kilometer walk over an extinct vol volcano um and um, i'm a spectacularly short-sighted as anybody who's se seen any of my myopic me pictures will know so i mean in that case i had my little um purple plastic samsung pheno point and shoot camera that i'd taken with me everywhere so at that point i was taking pictures of everything purely so i could look at them afterwards to see what i missed by like what did the volcano that i walked past look like because i couldn't see it at the time um <laughs> but but generally speaking you know you, you you take so many pictures that you uh, i don't know I, I it just feels like they spend more time clicking away and not actually looking at the thing you're photographing than makes sense when you've gone so far to see it so um it's really interesting to hear about your experiences with large format and and you found that the, the intrepid was a good travel camera for doing that yeah it's like two and a half pounds it's super light yeah. and it, coped, <laughs> it coped well with the rugged uh terrain that you were dealing with well yeah i mean i, I didn't break it it coped better than you did with the rugged terrain yeah yeah it was yeah it was a beast but it was it was it was a good beast i, I enjoyed the camera i've really fallen in love with it that, that's awesome to hear um we're going to read now uh another email because there's a thing you said you particularly wanted to talk about we so we had an email a couple of weeks ago now i think from um, ian barnaby nut uh talking about how he'd really like it if we talked about more about the shots and the pictures that people are taking on the shows and gear. So um, Toby Vandervelde, uh, in response to this, wrote in, um, Toby wrote in, Hi, Sunbeamers. I've just finished listening to the judging show and feel very touched by what you all had to say about my picks. I don't remember. What did we say, Aid? I guess we said they were great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. 
Um, I'm writing to you about this because of the email from Ian Barnaby Knight you read out on your last show about how the conversation about the gear has started to overshadow the conversation about the image. I thought I would respond to Ian's email with a short-ish statement of intent regarding my entry to this round of the Cheap Shots Challenge, my first time entering your competition. Regarding the camera and the film I shot on, I've already given you the details of that in the previous emails. Anyway, I do a lot of dog walking, and so when I was considering the brief for the competition, I had a good idea that I would find what I would need when out with my hounds. I headed for agricultural land I'm familiar with as I knew the crop was blossoming. With regards to the first image, I deliberately walked into the wheat and knelt with the Voigtlander Bessa close to the ground. I composed looking up and I could see the V-shape of sky emerging out of the leading line that the crop created. I kept it off to one side to keep within the rule of thirds. That double head of wheat in the middle of the white cloud was serendipity, I confess. The second image, I again stood inside the wheat and focused on the lone tree standing up this time to capture the tops of the heads, or ears as they're called. The composition with the wheat ending and the sky beginning was keeping within the thirds rule also, and I did deliberately choose to keep the tree dead centre as I lined up to take the picture. I did have second thoughts on this competition, and after sending it to you, wished I had kept had had the tree off center my self-doubt however was quashed by the comments johnny made on your show when judging and i was very pleased he saw what i saw when making the exposure the two pictures i sent you ended up being a mix of mostly planned composition with a touch of luck i find this is how most of my favorite images come out when i'm out shooting for the fun of it I hope the email gets the conversation about image as opposed to gear flowing. And nice one to Ian Nutt for opening debate. I look forward to hearing from other listeners about their own statements of intent in their work as well as your own. Uh, and that's from Tobe. So thank you very much, Toby. So, um, yeah, Eric, I know you've got some thoughts on this about uh, intent within photography and thinking about the images. Well, um, when you guys read ian's uh email a couple weeks ago it was kind of like oh it was kind of one of those obvious things like well yeah why aren't we doing this i mean you, i listen you know you listen to all these different podcasts and it's all gear everything is gear it's it's that's all we talk about as photographers is just gear and that's i don't think that's in any other field of art like i, I can think of it's more something like you would talk about uh, with cars, you know, I was like, oh, this has, you know, a fuely heads and a hearse on the floor or something. And so we talk about gear like we're like we're gearheads, like we're, you know, like we're greasers. And I, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but we're not building hot rods. We're creating art and we just don't talk about it. And um, we don't, we should, maybe we should be, you know, talking about photography in the same way we talk about literature or music or art um you know we don't we don't talk about um like cameras not not so much cameras used in movies and you know like oh he used you know this this you know whatever cameras are wait i don't i have no idea for for, for motion pictures you know we talk a little bit about musical instruments that are used to create the music we like, you know, Springsteen plays a Telecaster, George Harrison plays a Rickenbacker, things like that. But it doesn't really enter into our discussion of the final product. So I guess I'm wondering, what are we doing wrong? 
and are we doing anything wrong it is interesting because uh, yeah, i mean click you know it, it's very very true um and, and i don't pretend to know the reason why although uh from my own point of view one of the things that attracted me to photography in the first place is because I don't have any of those other skills. <laughs> I, I can't draw and I can't paint and I can't sculpt. Uh, you know, um, I, I can make beans on toast, but that's about it. Right. So so for me, the, the technology helps me capture the thing that I can see in my head. So for, so for me, the, you know, the tool is the is it's more than a tool. It's 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 almost you know the 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 guiding light if you know uh, you know and, yeah. and learning to learning to learning to get the best out of my cameras and lenses and things like that is is how it is part of the creative process for me because I don't have those other skills. So I couldn't sit down and draw an image, and I couldn't you know. Uh, yeah, uh, and I can't knit tea cozies and stuff like that. You know, it's it's it, it's just part of for me. It, it's a part. It, it helps to relieve the frustration. So yeah, I'm really interested in stuff that can help me relieve that frustration and be and and help me realize the vision. Maybe maybe yeah. that's an unhealthy interest. I don't know. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, you you musicians are are really into their pedals, their guitars, their drums, or whatever. And, you know, artists are really into the certain types of paint they'll use. And all that's wonderful. But we as consumers of that art don't really think about that because we're, we're, we're talking about the art itself. Like you said with, you know, like, well, I have this idea and the camera and the lenses helps me bring that idea into reality. But that idea is important. That idea is where everything begins. And we're not talking about that idea as much as we should. If we want I, I to. Yeah, I wonder whether part of it is. So you, you talked about music and about uh, other forms of art. And uh, the big, it, it varies depending on the kind of photography that you're doing, obviously. But if you're composing a song or a, a melody or if you're painting, it, it's 100% intentional. Everything that is on the page is coming out of your brain. So you're having to think about the structure as you're creating it it's like what's going to come next why am i doing this what will sound good so you're actively having to engage with that part of your brain and and as toby brilliantly illustrated in um his email you can absolutely adapt that same uh, intentionality uh, and um, thought when composing an image too so you can go out and i think particularly if you're shooting landscapes or shooting a slower subject in general whether it's landscapes or maybe portraiture you can think okay i'm going to construct this image because you know i want to get as you said the rule of thirds i want leading lines i want whatever elements it may be and you're composing the image that way but a lot of what we're all shooting um we are seeing the image you know, if you're out shooting street or documentary or kind of stuff, you are seeing it and your brain is clicking into things on a subconscious level. And you're going, yes, that's what I want in this frame. Click, go. Um, and you're getting the elements in there that without consciously thinking, oh, yes, this has got the leading lines. You, you've just done that. And I don't think we're very good at going back and looking at things and going, well, why did I take that picture? What made me at that moment go, oh, 
fire the shutter um, and capture it. And and also, I wonder whether part of it is because we don't we don't all necessarily have the language we need to talk about it. Um, you know, I'm I'm not great at saying, oh, I like this picture, whether it's mine or someone else's because of X, Y, Z, because, you know, it, it's it's difficult. It's, it's a whole language that needs to be learned. And we don't, we're not all very good at doing that kind of stuff. That's that's very true. That's very true. I have a hard time talking about it too. And it's also, it's personal. And it's hard to put the personal into any words, let alone, you know, words that other people can understand and, and can relate to. But it doesn't seem, at least within, especially, especially, on the internet, um, we don't even begin to, we don't broach the subject, but you look at like photography books of even street photographers, they, they won't, sometimes they won't even tell you what equipment they used at all Mm. or what film they use. It's just not part of the discussion. And so all of the text is just, is just, you know, like, here's what the photo, where the photo was, here's, you know, what happened, what was going on at the time and, and just talks about the photo itself we don't even do that. And while, while we, well, like street photography may be real, real quick, real quick, we're still living in the same time. You know, I mean, you, you take a long time to set up a photo, you take it a short time, you still have time. It's still, it's, that's not changing. And so our thoughts are still going at the same speed. So I don't, I don't know. I, th- I still think we can go back and look to see what, oh, here's what, what we're thinking subconsciously. I think we, it may take a little work. It's not an easy thing to just to talk about or think about, but I think we can and, and should be, should be doing it rather than just like always talking about gear. Not that I mm. don't love gear. I love gear. You know, I took a dozen cameras with me on this last trip. Whoa. A so dozen. Wow. Okay. A dozen. Yeah. And I love gear. I don't think but I own I think... a dozen cameras. But <laughs> <laughs> possibly if I dug them all out of wherever they're hidden. But <laughs> but I think I think we can bridge the two, the gear talk and the art talk. I think I think it's it's easy to bridge those because I would notice that when I was um, when I'd come upon a scene, like there was a scene with cows next to a tree and a pond. Obviously, that's something I'm going to capture with large format. Um, but there's other... <laughs> Were they big cows? Other, <laughs> well, they're cows. Enormous cows. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured, like, well, how else do I want to capture it? And, like, what, and it would depend on like, which camera had which kind of film in it. So I was thinking about gear, but I was thinking about gear in a way that would serve the idea in my head because we first have the idea or you come upon an idea like here's a, a bunch of, of friggin cows and so next is the the act of creating that uh, of creating really you're, you're creating and so all of those things go into the, the the not just what you're seeing but your cameras and your film go in do i want this to be black and white do i want this to be color do i want to shoot this on slide film do I want, you know, uh, this lens or that lens? All of that goes into it, and that's gear. That's why we need to. That's why gear is important, so we know how to use it. It's not just to have it. And I think, of course, and then the end product is is what everybody else sees. But I think that's that's probably the the least important thing. I think the idea is the most important, and how we achieve that idea is, is probably second um, second to the, to that. I suppose my thought is is what what we need to get to is what is the value 
why should we be thinking more about the pictures themselves rather than you know the easy conversations i think because for my money i think there is a lot of value and I, I certainly don't do this enough but there's a lot of value in looking at your own images and the images of others and really analyzing what it is about them that you like yeah um what elements what what are the pieces try and learn to pull them apart because if you can do that it's like listening to music and going oh i really like that riff i really yeah because then it's like oh can i introduce that into the work that i'm doing can i or can i take elements of this or can i be inspired by this particular piece but i think unless you stop and look it's going back to thing we were talking about earlier with you know actually taking time to look at it but stop and look at something that you really like and figure out why you like it and talk to other people because often you might look at something and go i really like this i'm not sure why but when you start talking to other people about it i say whether it's your own work or somebody else's that conversation can open up in your mind oh yes what you're saying is how i feel but you've got the words for it that i didn't and it makes it easier to take forward rather than it being this kind of vague ineffable feeling that you can't quite nail down and work with but if you go Ah, oh, yeah, I just I love the way that, you know, the lines just come together perfectly or that beautiful curve and the way that's positioned or the way that light is cast on that face or whatever it may be. Once you've figured out what it is that's really speaking to you, you can use that. It's like, like this is knowledge is power kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot of value in it. Um, but how what is a good how should we be? Um, making this more part of the podcast then i suppose that's a good question <laughs> I, I mean how do you i mean it's it's if, if you were doing like a video like a, like a vlog or something it would be easy uh you just do it but since you're doing uh audio only it's all theory in the same way that when people talk about film theory you know they're not talking about again what cameras or, or what they're using they're talking about angles they're talking about editing or, or whatever things that you can kind of get together in your head pretty well. So I don't know. I think that's that's something you guys will, will work out. Uh, I'm, passing, I'm passing the buck. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to talk about it as well as I'd like to. Well, it's a good point, though. It's a good point. <laughs> I think it's a thing we clearly want to do. You run out of steam completely there, right? but we'll we'll figure. Um, I mean, we have a website now. We do have somewhere where people can go and look at things visually. Um, and maybe what we... Uh, I'm tentatively putting this out there. Let's say, if listeners want... And, and we won't be able to get to all of them or everything, but if listeners want to send in um, a picture that they have taken that they have that they have you know things to say about the how and the why they took it why the image is what it is um then we can always find a way of putting these images up on the website and talking about them on show and people can, people can then go and look at them on the website as we've done with the sheep shots challenge we'll maybe give that a go i, I don't want to commit to it too heavily because because <laughs> what, what um, i've seen other other uh, podcasts and just just people general do like on instagram um and i'm assuming twitter um is is kind of like a feature of the day you know you you they'll they'll tag their image like hashtag sunny 16 podcast or what have you and then you feature certain images throughout the day and then just just pick one that really 
that really moves you and kind of talk about it. You know, that most of your audience who is on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook or however it is, will be already familiar with that image or can easily find it. We could do that. I'm terrible at social media. (laughs) You're not bad. You're not bad. It gives you a platform and you'll rant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I think sometimes, I think what the problem is with, with talking about stuff, especially talking about your own work, is that the moment you say, I did this, this is what I saw, and this is what I tried to capture. Um, there's a certain element that feels like that is their invitation to jump in and go, well, you didn't do very well, and I don't like this. And and it's hard. Um, constructive criticism is incredibly valuable, but, uh, um, yeah, a lot of people... Oh, I, would avoid, I would avoid that. that just, yeah, that's just a whole worm full of trouble there. I don't... Yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. Well, for the time being, <laughs> let's say, listeners, if you've got an image that you particularly that there is something you want to talk to about it, send in the picture and your thoughts on, uh, uh, as Toby did on why he took it. Um, and I'm not going to promise we'll get to all of them um, because, you know, we might get more in than we can deal with. And we don't end up with another five hour email show, but I'll be really interested to hear more stories and to try and talk more about images and to try and incorporate that into what we're doing. So we'll give it a go. We'll give it or, a go. It's the least or just we start, do. Or just have, you know, people can just start doing it. Just start, just start thinking doing. about it and talking about it and writing about it on Instagram and Twitter. You only have so many characters, you know, or or start a blog. Just something just be a little more introspective than here's a bunch of my photos. Have Sounds either good. of you guys, have either of you guys got any recommendations for um, places where people could go to? read up on reading photographs on composition any books any websites any resource like that i realize i'm just asking this at the last minute no so maybe you can have a think about over the break um but anything you can look if anybody wants to learn more about composition and understanding it go here well i wouldn't i won't talk about the technical side of composition and understanding it because because there, there are lots of sources all over the internet and you can and many many books uh, as well um uh but uh, I am looking forward to uh, the new edition of Killian's magazine with the Perseverance theme. Mm. You know, that, yes. that, 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 that's something where you can... Hi, Killian, by the way. I um, <laughs> uh, hope it's coming along well. I've seen some posts on the internet to see that, to, to think, make me think that it's, it's due out soon. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. That, of course, is the, the Let's Explore magazine uh, that, that Killian produces. Um, and the new edition is coming out uh, soon. And and to pick up on another topic we, we've discussed uh, at various points on Sunny 16, uh, Killian posted today that uh, uh, almost, almost, in fact, if you round it up to the nearest 5%, half of the, the contributors to the new edition are women. Uh, wow. Yeah. So you know, well, yeah, well, well done, everybody, for that one as well. I know we, uh, I know we shouldn't need to celebrate that, but we do need to celebrate that. And and uh, well done, everybody who's contributed. And and so, uh, I mean, I think that uh, those kind of publications, where uh, for me, really helped me to sit down and think and try and understand the project that 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 spawned the the images and and what the uh, and what are the messages and, and and what's going on so i i would definitely encourage people to try that kind of avenue uh for for helping them think things through yeah, yeah. i think just just looking at other people's photos that you like or that you really respect uh it, it goes a long way 
it it, it yeah, does it does although for me because it. i'm for me because i'm e- easily distracted i can't do that in places like uh social media or or even places like Flickr, which is sort of almost social media um yeah. i have to actually have it distilled for me so, yeah, so think, for me that yeah. comes from books not from the internet yeah i would agree books are where it's at yeah, books all all going to gallery showings. I mean, as I sure, talked about sure. before, and you know the the impact uh, uh, of seeing um, Tim Rubman's pictures back in February still hasn't left me, and I was just stood there just staring at these pictures for minutes and minutes and minutes because it is. And the reality is that if they'd been something on Instagram, I scroll past them, hit like, moved on because it's just that's the way it works. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, good stuff. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, that, that probably takes us towards a break, I think, does it? Sounds like a good plan to me. We can we can get our brains limbering up over the break aid ready to deal with the quiz. Oh, uh, yes. Well, there we go then. Let's have that break and back in a minute. And we're back and we're going to follow that marvellous, thoughtful conversation, which could have continued for a, a, a lot longer, I think. But uh, we're going to follow that bec- uh, now with uh, a quiz because Eric has not come empty handed to the show this week. Have you, Eric? It's That's true. I have not. <laughs> oh, well, uh, so so you'll, uh, you'll have to take over from here and tell us what the hell's happening next. <laughs> OK, these are four or five questions This is based on. <laughs> Now, on, you remember maybe a year four, ago, or is it five? Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, remember <laughs> a year or so ago, Graham came up with the idea that each week he was going to come up with a quiz. I never and, said each week. Oh, and man. each and every single week, I was so excited. Like this is it. This is the week that it's going to happen. He's going to do the quiz, and it didn't happen. It happened once, maybe twice, maybe I think just once. And after that, I was so heartbroken that. I wrote my own quiz about film photography in in the cinema. Okay. Appearances of cameras and, and photography and how it's used okay. uh, in cinema. So, here we are. <laughs> quest, question, number, question number one. Is this directed question at anybody num- in particular or, or is it a, I, is it a hands on the buzzers it, round? Well, yeah, hands, on, hands on the buzzer. Hands on the buzzer. <laughs> we don't have buzzers. Oh, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's all right. We'll just shout it out, and you can you you can judge us, Eric. You can judge us. Oh, I'm already judging. (laughs) I'm very glad to hear it. You are a vegan. Carry on. (laughs) Uh, Okay, from the 1920s well into the 1960s, four by far four by five large format press cameras were the standard. Yet from time to time, smaller, rarer formats were employed where needed. In the 1933 film Picture Snatcher. James Cagney plays an ex-con who takes a job working at a newspaper and becomes a sensationalistic photographer. One scene in particular was modeled after the true event of a photojournalist sneaking a pocket camera, in quotes, into the execution of a woman guilty of murder. Both the original camera and Cagney's camera were made by the same company. What was that company and what was the smaller (laughs) format mentioned in the movie? Okay, so this is going to be more trial and error then, isn't it, than actual known fact? At least it is for me. Unless, Graham, you know the answer. 
Well, I've got I've got a guess, but that's I, about it. All right. Well, I, okay. Well, well. Uh, I tell you what. Then you give your guess, uh, and I'll give my guess, and then uh, we, we'll see which one of us is most wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm going to guess based on the time that it's probably a Leica, something like a Leica two or like i'm bad with likers but something like a like a two or like a three one of the early obviously pre-m that ones i don't know what like times up but that's my guess okay. an early liker that's interesting because that's nothing like what i was gonna say <laughs> no. so what were you gonna say well i i was gonna say that it would be some kind of small folder because uh, i've heard them referred to as pocket cameras uh, i may be reaching back a little bit too far in in time but I've heard uh, small folders uh, mentioned, yeah, with a, with a bellows uh, mentioned uh, as pocket cameras, uh, uh, with some variant uh, of medium format film. Um, of course, if it was a Kodak camera, it could be any shape or size. <laughs> it could be circular for all I know if it was a Kodak. Um, I, I do love the idea of a Kodak vest pocket camera being snuck in because those things are huge. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yes, fair point. But I, I and uh, I, I'm going to go. Uh, uh, just because it's one of the few American branded ca- ca- cameras I know that isn't Kodak, I'm going to go with Ansco. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any guesses to the format? Some some variant of medium format. Oh no, I'm going. I'm going to say uh, the early 35 mil. I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to guess 35. Okay, so 35 and Leica. That that is that is uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair so, here's the story. Leica made uh, both. Uh, the original uh, that he used was modified from a Leica lens to a small single shot piece. Uh, it was modified by the photographer Tom Howard. Uh, the camera was used by Howard when he photographed the execution of Ruth Snyder, who was murder who uh, murdered murdered her husband in 1927. Uh, photographing an execution was forbidden. So to capture the event, the camera had to be strapped to Howard's ankle to avoid the full body search. Uh, since the camera had to be pre-focused, it was necessary to know the seating arrangement of the execution room. A uh, staff member uh, on the newspaper staff was tasked with somehow procuring the blueprints to the room, which he, which he did. And then so for a month, Howard lived in a nearby hotel making modifications to his camera. This was actually a huge ordeal. Uh, the original housing was discarded and a new body was made to house a single piece of glass about the size of a 35 millimeter frame. So it was a 35 millimeter camera that he modded to fit a single piece of glass. And I'm not sure why he decided to just not use uh, film. I don't know. So in real life, as well as in the Cagney film, the camera was operated by lifting up his pant leg, sticking his leg out into the aisle and using a long cable release running up through its trousers. And the movie takes the liberty of getting the shot in a single shot, one quick exposure. The real photographer actually captured it twice, creating a double exposure. Um, uh, he took it at the first shock, and then it was too, too short, of a, short of an exposure. And so he left the shutter open for five seconds, and this gives, if you ever see the picture... Um, it captures the second and third shock administered to, to Ruth Snyder, and it results in a weird motion blur, but this gave the world the first photo of a state electrocution. And it was run the next day in the New York Daily News with the bald headline that says, Dead. And it sold an extra million copies. 
after that, um, wow. you, you were you were really not allowed to take <laughs> photos of executions. But dead bodies appeared on front of newspapers on a routine basis after this. Wow. Okay, that's that's, that's a <laughs> spooky story. Yes, that's amazing. I mean, you know, obviously the moment they published it, they knew that like they were going to be found out for taking a picture there. Was there ever any comeback? Did the guy get in trouble? I don't think so. He was banned from, from executions, but I think he kind of figured that out that he was going to be. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Well, that's uh... insane. Brilliant. Uh, I love that story. That is a fantastic first question. And I love it most because I was right. Although I would never have guessed he put a glass plate in there. Yeah, that surprised me too. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, there must be some reason that he did that, but I can't figure out why. He couldn't. He couldn't advance the film, obviously. So there was no reason not to. But it just seems odd that he wouldn't just use regular film. Mm. What was the name of the know. woman who, who was executed? Ruth Snyder. Ruth Snyder. I, and is this picture online? Is it, and is it horrifying? Um, it's it's not pleasant. I'll save that till later. I think before okay. I research that further. Anyway, maybe I don't need to see that. I'm good. Next question, please, Eric. Okay. This one is, uh, well, we'll see. Okay. In 1948, James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, starred in the docudrama Call Northside 777. Have you seen it? Nope. No. Oh, it's a wonderful movie. And so it details the true story of a reporter who, who pieced together enough evidence to prove that a prisoner had been wrongly convicted of murder. Did he then go on to and... save Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. Oh, okay. Busy guy. So in, in this film, Stewart's character discovers an unknown 4x5 negative showing the date on a newspaper proving that one of the key witnesses falsified her testimony. In the movie, this evidence was gathered at the last minute in Chicago. However, the problem was that the evidence needed to be in Springfield, 200 miles southwest, almost immediately. So since there was no way to ship the physical photo to Springfield in time, Stewart's character employed what was portrayed in the movie as new technology. This wonder could transmit the photo through telegraph lines from a lab in Chicago to another lab in Springfield in a matter of minutes. That lab would then process the image so that it could be used in court as physical evidence. So he created an actual photo. Everyone involved was amazed that this could be done. This technology is, of course, it's available to us today. But was it possible to do this in 1948? Is this embellished science fiction or science fact? Wow. You're the technology guy, Aid. Come on, Aid. Oh. So, so question. Uh, okay, so yes. so yes, clearly in 1948 you could transmit images. I believe, okay. they, I believe they call that television. Um, the question is, could you record television and do, and do anything with it? Or could you project the image that was coming through and do anything with it? Um... I'm trying to think what the the technology would be. Um, okay. Could you do a live TV Betamax, show and take, take the photo of it of the television? I mean, is that a thing you could do? Like put it, like literally go on live TV, hold it up to the camera, and get somebody at the other end to take a picture of the television screen. Could that be a thing? 
Um, well, at the end any... of the day, or the questions and that, I mean, you could do it with Morse code. It just depends on how many ones and zeros you've got time to transmit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but the exactly. uh, so so clearly the technology to transmit these things existed. It was just a question of whether what they could do with it. Uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, fax, gonna, fax yeah, machine. I'm going to say it's a fact. I think this is true. I think they found a way to do it. Okay. And and it is. It is true. Oh, okay. But well done. All right. It was not new technology. There were some attempts at this in the late 1800s. So prior to television. But the first success was a German physicist named Arthur Korn. His first phototelegram, as they were called, whatever that is in Germany, uh, was transmitted from Munich to Nuremberg in 1904. It took 44 minutes, and the photo was unusable. However, two years later, uh, Korn <laughs> had it all figured out. Uh, a very small light, and this is how they did it in the movie and how they generally did it, um, a very small light was shown through the negative, essentially scanning it line by line, little kind of dot by dot. A selenium cell captured the intensity of the light showing through the negative and converted it to a specific electronic pu well, electric pulse. The more light that got through, the larger the pulse. This pulse was then sent over the wires to a receiver. The receiver retranslated the pulses to light identical in intensity onto waiting photo paper. It exposed the paper line by line, and once it was completed, the paper was developed and fixed. Uh, the method changed a little bit by the 40s. It was basically the same principle. Uh, there was very little information lost, and the resulting photos could actually be used by both the press and the police. Um, it's not actually how the true crime that was portrayed in the movie was solved. That was basic detective work. But that's how they did it in the movie for some reason, and it was true. That's wow. awesome. Okay. Okay. I no idea that technology had been around that long. Yeah, crazy. Second good guess, Graham. Well done. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was very much thinking along. My guess was, oh yeah, they'd have just done it by, like I said, holding it up on TV and taking a picture, because that's how I would have done it. But you know, just as well, I wasn't in charge of saving anybody's life. <laughs> <laughs> and this this one is a multiple choice, um, and maybe it's an easy one. Uh, though we saw that 35mm film was used in the 1930s, it was often seen as cheap when compared to medium and large formats. Nevertheless, in the 1954 Hitchcock thriller Rear Window, Jimmy Stewart plays a wheelchair-bound action photographer who prominently used a 35mm SLR. Since companies like Canon, Mamiya, and even Kodak were years away from creating such cameras, what was that? Any guesses before I go to the multiple choices? Wait, what uh, year was it, sorry? It was 1954. Uh, uh, okay, so that predates the Nikon F by about five or six years, doesn't it? Uh, at least I think the Nikon F was about 1959, 1960. So uh, unless I'm completely wrong. Oh, SLR, SLR. I think I, I'm going to kick myself when I know that when I hear the answer. So I'm going to go for the multi-choice, please. <laughs> <laughs> my my only guess because it's sort of the earliest ones i can think of are the um exactors x or whatever they are those those are the ones but uh yeah I have right. no, no, no there you go that's it <laughs> <She's> kidding me. <laughs> yeah it's the exact of vx vx it was released in 1954 so in, at, the, at the time of the movie it was the brand new camera so wow. was that the first slr out i don't 
think it was. I don't think it was the first 35 SLR. It was either between that or the Pentax 2B. Um, it's one of those two. I can't remember which one was first. Uh, interesting. So what were your multiple choices going to be then? Oh, I was had the, the Pentax 2B and the Minolta SR2, which was a little bit of a trick because that was 58, or the Zeiss Icon Pentacon ZI. Right, so we got two okay. Germans and two Japanese cameras. I'm surprised that there was no uh, American contender until, until later. I would, have, I would have expected, especially in an American film, for that to have been. I'm sure. It was, well, uh, it was Hitchcock, so it was it was European. Was he not American? He was working. He was working in the studio, but still, it was Hitchcock. I love the way you say it, as if I have any idea. Ask me. How, I have seen one Hitchcock film. He did North by Northwest, right? You did, yeah. You've, oh, yeah that's you. <laughs> I'm really glad about that because if you'd said no, I'd have felt like even more of a dum dum. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, I'm not great with classic movies. Um, I'm good with <sighs> guessing, though. <no>. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, uh, when the when the Exacta Varex debuted, um, it, w- it was second most expensive camera on the market. It was three hundred ninety eight dollars in 1955 money which is about $3,600 today. That's an expensive camera. It's an expensive. Yeah, the Leica, the Leica M3 was um, a little bit more expensive at 447 at the time. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not far off what they cost today, though, is it? If, <laughs> no, it's if, if you have a yeah, a top of the line SLR is gonna is gonna cost you more than that today, is it? Or you know, you get probably get quite a good one for three and a half thousand dollars, but I would hope so. I'm sure that I'm sure you know Nikon and Canon will probably quite happily charge you three and a half thousand dollars for an SLR. Yeah, and the folk are certainly more than happy buying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What, what question are we on now, Eric? Because it's the fourth okay. one. This is the fourth, and there is a short one after. If you, uh, well, let's see. This one zooms forward in time and sort of leaves cinema behind for music video. So in 1981, this was kind of for aid. So in 1981, the best band in the universe released the single Girls on Film. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Not their best this, video. One of their best videos, though, was Wild Boys. That was an awesome video. That is true. Russell McKay, absolutely. This racy video was directed by which two British rock stars trying to make a name for themselves in the video business? Who were they, and what other Duran Duran video did they direct? Oh, no. I feel like this is going to be an aid question. So, uh, well, the, the, the legendary most fa- most racy Duran Duran video was for The Chauffeur. Yeah, uh, it's true. Uh, which had lots of supermodel-type ladies in their underwear in it. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, why would you not? Oh, you mention it. No, you mention it. It's that thing of, you know, the more you look at something, you really take it in and absorb it on a certain level. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and so and, uh, two... and, and is, it, is it okay to give a spoiler for a 40-year-old pop video? Because the the end the end of the story is is that the the lady in, in the, the big limousine is, uh, is actually off to meet another lady. 
And oh my they, goodness! They dance. Oh. They dance together at the end in a way, and and uh, it it really makes you think about what the choreographer must have been thinking about. Because of course, you, they, obviously, it's not showing anything that's you know overtly sexy or anything like that. But they dance with sort of um, with their hands palm to palm at the end, and that's that's the way that they choose to depict the relationship. Um, has this anything got anything to do with the photography podcast? Shall I just keep jabbering <laughs> on about Duran Duran videos? Keep going on about no, no. Let's, so okay, so look, I have no idea who directed two, that video. Two I'm rocks, sorry. Two, two, two British rock singing stars is probably uh, two British rock performers. Two British rock performers directed it. Um, I, I probably okay. I would say something like the Pet Shop Boys. No, that's too. That's way, way too early. The Pet Shop Boys were later in the eighties. Um, uh, oh God. Okay, so they, they, uh, let's try and logic this out. Aid, we can do it. So they're people. They're, they're coming to directing. So I'm guessing that their career as rock stars was earlier. True. Okay, so seventies rock stars. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Something duos. Simon and Garfunkel. No, that doesn't seem like they're going to do it. Um. <laughs> Um. Oh God, no! I don't. I. Uh, my knowledge of music isn't good enough to give me any. Oh no! I was hoping you. This is Godly and Cream. Uh, from Ten CC. Okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Right. The first never, video they did was but... for Ten CC's "An Englishman in New York." You never heard of Ten CC? I mean, the, the the numbers I've seen on the side of a syringe, but other than that, <laughs> what I think you'd like them. How, how what you've never heard of 10cc no no how about godly and cream no definitely it... not really <laughs> no. well, is that a kind of biscuit it sounds like a very english biscuit manufacturer no, godly no, and no. cream <laughs> do yourself a favor and look up their song cry on youtube one of the best videos ever made they directed that they also directed heat of the moment by asia rocket by herbie hancock every breath you take by the police this time by NXS, Hip to Be Square by Huey Lewis in the News, Everybody <laughs> Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung, Peter Gabriel's Biko, and they also did A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Did they? Well, now they that's go. interesting because that's an awesome yeah. song as well. It's a wonderful song, and both of these videos have film cameras in them. Do they? Okay. They do. Girls on Film opens up with a shot of a Nikon FM2. And View to a Kill uh, has keyboardist Nick Rhodes using the Nikon FG before being murdered by guitarist Andy Taylor. That's what happens when you shoot Nikon or Nikon. <laughs> Either you get murdered, straight up murdered. <laughs> Sorry, eh? there should have been a warning, but this might happen to you one day. A drummer might murder you. Uh, <laughs> well, may, maybe. Yeah, I It's guess. possible. One never hey. knows. <laughs> okay. So, so um, just, just, just one for Graham. Um, Graham, have you ever heard the song "Dreadlock Holiday"? Nope. Is it a holiday for dreadlocks? I mean, I'm guessing it must be. The title says it all. Really, I can clearly picture what the song is about. It's a dreadlock holiday. Oh, we're going off to Butlins. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you. Uh, 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 have you ever heard a song? I don't like cricket. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah, that does ring a bell. Because uh, oh, you know what it was. You know why I've heard this? It's because I was because really, I'm very cultured, 
I was recently listening to um, the Mighty Boosh uh, radio series. Uh, the Mighty Boosh uh, is excellent, yes. Yeah, and at it. one point, um, Bob Fossil is singing the parts of that song. It's, uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Carry on. <laughs> Mighty Boosh is brilliant. Forget about 10cc. Forget about all this other nonsense. Everybody should watch and listen to the Mighty Boosh. It's insane and wonderful. That that is true. That is absolutely true. Yes, the the mighty Bush is both insane and wonderful. Bill is from a boot. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I'm glad you're on board, Eric. I'm very yeah. glad you're on board. You said we've got um. And a the most surreal thing about the mighty Bush, you know, in in a world of surreal comedy, the most surreal thing about the mighty Bush is that Noel Fielding now presents the Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Uh, I'm this all one. Breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that, that's a great baking and mighty boosh combo reference but absolutely absolutely <laughs> yes nailed it okay so um well okay so eric um uh well done for creating the most esoteric photography quiz in the world <laughs> well he said he got half a question the little question as well aid the tiebreaker although i'm pretty sure i've smashed you <laughs> yeah, with this the, the tiebreaker this is an easy one one last real quick one you can put, you can redeem yourself. I'll here. see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. According to the 1981 Depeche Mode song "Photographic," what kind of pictures does a lead singer claim to take? Oh man! Um, see, the earliest I go back with Depeche Mode, I've got somewhere a copy of "Black Celebration" and possibly uh, there was another one around that time as well. But yeah, this is one off of speak and spell. Yeah. The the one that really uh got me, of course, was Violator, which I still listen oh, to okay. this to the to this day, I'll still listen to Violator. And if I remember rightly, that was nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I think so, eighty six or eighty seven, yeah. Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah. I might not be exactly on it. Um Okay. So young, edgy band, um very I'm gonna go he he um Traditional landscapes. I bet he said that he takes traditional landscape photographs. That's my guess. The lyrics are, I take pictures, photographic pictures. All right. Well, that's no wonder I didn't bother listening to his stupid song. (laughs) I could have asked what kind of pictures gentlemen take. Is it it photographic pictures again? No, it's Polaroid. Gentlemen take Polaroids. Japan? No, that's not my experience. Man. Don't, you're killing us with this, I tell you. I'm this is sorry. We're, we're, I... really, we're really letting down our knowledge uh, of late 70s, early 80s pop music, aren't we? Yeah. British, pop, British pop music, too. And this is... We're, we're this just is, too I'm young. Disappointed. You're too young? I think well, you're as old as I am. No, no, clearly not, Eric. Clearly not. No. <laughs> I'm only 20-something. Um, oh, that was a well, great in that quiz. case... That seems that believable. Was, I hope the listeners did better than us. I would be uh, listeners hit us up on social media if you did better than we did. Well, better than they did. You couldn't have done better than me because I crushed it. You crushed did. Ve- it like you 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 did very well actually. I'm I'm actually quite impressed. Um, your your clearly your collection of old cameras has uh, has done you proud in this instance. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Although my collection still sadly very much lacking both likers and exactors. Uh, um, but, you know, uh, I'm just good at guessing. I'm king of guessing. <laughs> it's what you have to get good at when you're not good at actually bothering to learn. See, I thought I was going to get I thought I was going to get one, though, because I thought one of them was going to be what was the camera ca- um, carried by uh, was his name, Jimmy Olsen in, in the Superman movies. 
Oh, what was that? Uh, it was a Nikon F of some variety. I want to say, because uh, it would have been early 80s, I want to say it was probably an F, a very late F2, maybe. Okay. Or uh, with a, uh, if not a motor wind, then a, a big cartridge underneath it. Maybe it was an early F3. I don't know. I can't remember when the F3 came out. Well, here's another good random, far more recent film camera appearing in the movie. And they're far more kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a left field one in the I don't know what year it was, but the um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, the one where he was fighting uh, uh, Lizard Dude, I think is the technical name um at one point because obviously he peter parker is a photographer um and the camera that he put in his web to catch pictures of lizard dude was a yashica electro 35 well, so that, that would never work then would it <laughs> deep cut i think in the film it does take picture after picture after picture all by itself like weird <laughs> but um yeah that An was electro a good 35 all oh, right okay. yeah well, there you go uh what else God, there's got to be something else we can think of uh, oh well, i'll tell you what Harry... here's a behind the scenes fact did you know that um yule brinner was an avid photographer so the, <laughs> so i think a lot of people know that dennis hopper was a very big photographer um, mm, he's got books published hasn't he yeah yeah and and uh and i think a lot of people also know and we've talked about it on this uh show before that um uh oh what's his name the dude yes thank you <laughs> jeff. jeff jeff uh blah, blah, god bloom no <laughs> no no, no. Jeff, come on uh, foxworthy no, the one from the what? fabulous Baker Boys, the one, the, the dude abides. Come on, um, uh, he was most recently in the second in the the Kingsman sequel as well. Um, Jeff Bridges. Oh, thank uh, you, thank you, thank you. And I was going to say son of the fella from Airport, but that might not have worked for you either. No. Oh yeah, Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, 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 said yeah. Lloyd Bridges kid. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. old enough to know what that is. Okay, well there you go then. So yeah, it's Lloyd Bridges kid. Well, one of his kids, because of course yeah, he has he has more than one. Uh, and they were both actors. Um, uh, Jeff Bridges was Tron, by the way. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, and then he uh, reprised the part in, in Tron Legacy by being the old man who lives in the hills. Yeah, good, good musical. My dream job. job. <laughs> what, being the old man who lives in the hills? <laughs> oh, I'd love it. There, Eric. The light was terrible. You know, you wouldn't be able to get out and do your um, long exposure work out there. It was, right. uh, that was good. There's some good, there's some good f- camera movie. Um, there's, I, and I can't remember what camera it was now, but yeah, there's, there's lots of good ones. And this, like I said, the, the, the most, the most well-known one these days is um, Harry Potter. And yeah, the, the, the um, brick. Yeah, the brick. What, what's that camera called again? Because it's gone from my head instantly. The Argus C3, the only 35 millimeter you need. Period. <laughs> is yes. it, is that, I, I'm not really a Harry Potter fan. Does that feature somewhat? Does it? Yeah. No. Does it? Well, I don't. It, it's, it's in there, there isn't it? Yeah, yeah is it's it? there, and it's such an unusual-looking camera that it sort of stands out. So, um, yeah. Well, that was very good. That's very. Should we take another quick break here before we hit uh, some more awesome emails? Why not? Let's do that. Let's take that break now. Okay, and we're back with some emails. And the first one, because it's taken some pre-processing, <laughs> is going to be read by Graham. 
Yes, um, we've had, as always had a lot of great emails coming over the last couple of weeks. We've got a few cheap shots ones, which we're going to save, and we'll um, sort of the the ones from the pictures that came in uh, later, which we'll save those until we've got Johnny on next. We'll read those out. Um, but this first one is from Pete Adler. Uh, Pete writes in, "Dear Sunbeams." Believe it or not, I have tried to keep this email short. However, since I've been jotting down ideas over some weeks, it has grown to such an enormous size that I promise you I will not be disappointed if you do not read it on the show, either in full or abbreviated. All the same, I hope you may be able to use some of the thoughts. So um, I have picked out little chunks because uh, the email is epic uh, in its nature and it is wonderful and there's lots of great um, information and people who, who Pete has pointed us at and towards and lots of nice things said about the show as well, which we're far too humble to ever read out. So um, anyway, I will read the bits that I particularly wanted to draw your attention to, listeners. Um, and the first one is related to the Cheap Shots Challenge because I want to address this. So for an audio show about photography, quick access for the listeners to the images being discussed is rather vital. Finding the pictures submitted for Cheap Shots Challenge has become easy from the Sports Activities Challenge onward, thanks to the links in the show notes. Nevertheless, I found that it is next to impossible to use the Sunny 16 Flickr group. This was especially a problem during the early episodes where Aid and Graham spent a lot of time discussing the photographs they had each uploaded. Back then, I'm sure it was easy to navigate in the group. But by the time I got to hear these episodes, I found that I had to scroll through literally thousands of images before reaching the old ones. Uh, I'm not even sure that all the images are presently in the group that have anything to do with the podcast as such. I haven't found a way to select the date range. I don't suppose that is even possible, but it would be useful to have a repository where it is easy to look up the photos pertaining to each episode. Um, so this kind of comes back a bit to what we were saying earlier about when we if we want to talk about images in particular maybe finding a home for those on the website and it's also a, a thing i might uh try and do um is go back and go through the earlier rounds the cheap shot challenge and figure out where those pictures are and i might try and pull those onto the website as well um so i'll let you know if i get around to that listeners but yeah really good point um it, it is difficult especially with the flick group now um or with anywhere to, to hunt down images when you're out of time with that so apologies for that but there's not much we can do Anyway, moving on. In one of the early episodes, Aid gave what was almost a lecture about artificial light. It was a very good lecture, Aid. Strobes and speed lights, which I learned a lot from. As we are now slowly starting to move towards the darker part of the year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, it might be useful to get back to this theme, possibly by inviting someone who uses speed lights or strobes a lot in his or her work. As an example, the wonderful baby photographer Sandra Cohen, who shoots on film, is very skilled when it comes to artificial lighting. Well, you're in luck here, Pete, because in a couple of weeks' time, Sandra will be joining us, um, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I never know who's doing great stuff, and um, I saw Sandra's stuff and was immediately bowled over. She's shooting stunning work, all on film. Uh, and she does talks for Adorama, and she's currently trialling the Ectochrome film, which we'll uh, talk about very briefly later. But um, yes, yeah, so Sandra will be joining us in early September, so look forward to that. I'm very excited about that. Also in one of the early shows, I liked your Desert Island camera discussion. If you could use only one film camera or camera system for the rest of your life, which one would it be? I think both Aid and Graham reached the conclusion that it would have to be the Bronica ETRS, which seems like a great choice. Uh, 
I think it would be an interesting question to get back to and to ask some of your guests. It's a useful mental exercise, especially if you belong to those people who find it difficult to walk out of your front door without bringing a dozen or so cameras. So, um, Aid, is the Veronica still your desert island camera? Do you know what? Uh, I I think it is. I, I still love that camera. Um, I'm not using it so much at the moment, um, uh, but you know it it is it is the one that consistently uh, makes me go wow at my own images. Um, uh, you know, it's not the most practical choice, um, but uh, if a large animal on the desert island came at you, you could easily uh, stun it at the very least with a bronica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Uh, yes. But uh, or failing that, take a, a slow shutter speed photograph of it. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have an ND filter. When I took mine to Portugal, I needed to have an ND for a three-stop ND filter on it constantly because the sunlight was so bright. Even with slow film, I still needed the three extra stops. Um, uh, yes, it's, it's was it five hundredths of a second is the maximum shutter speed. It is on it is on mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. so uh, a three stop. It's either a three or four stop. I think it was a three stop ND filter meant I could shoot at two eight or f four um uh even in the even in the bright sunshine of the day which which was awesome um anyway uh enough about that yeah uh, it's not the most practical choice but yeah this is uh I, this is theoretical isn't it so let's go with it <laughs> yeah what about you then eric because we've never asked you this question and as you took 12 cameras with you you clearly haven't nailed down the specific answer to this but what if we were going to say look eric you're going away on your holiday your your special trip next year and you only get to take one camera i mean i think we all know what it's going to be but what would I, it be i think we talked about this the first time i was on oh did we I think I was the one. Yeah, I think so. Well, coincidence. What? <laughs> I don't remember what I said though. So I right, neither do we. <laughs> that's fine. I wonder, would it have been? I wonder. Did you say the K one thousand at the time? I have a I feeling. Think I, may have. Yeah, I think I may have. Yeah, I think I may have. No, no, f that camera. Um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> well, no, it's the it's the Intrepid at this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from what you said earlier, I am not surprised. Yeah, um, no, it's it is an interesting question. The reason we will not be making it a regular feature and asking people on the show is because um, the lovely Analog Talk podcast make a point of asking all of their guests this very question, and we would one never want to pinch uh, their already good idea, and um, and it's great hearing the answers people come up with there. So check them out. If you ha- if you want to hear some good Desert Island camera discussions, check out the Analog Talk podcast. Um, and finally i just wanted to pick up pete has some recommendations for him things that he just wanted to give a shout out to i think we don't do so much of these days so um here are a few of his shout outs number one the zone system um without doubt the most inspiring books i have read since i got back into film photography are the camera the negative and the print by ansel adams uh so are you gentlemen familiar with these sets of books and um eric more you so i guess with the last one do you use the zone system i don't know <laughs> you don't know i don't i don't know I've, I've heard of it i heard people talk about it i have a really hard time reading uh technical books on photography not for any moral reason just i have a hard time <laughs> sinking my brain into it yeah um i meter for the shadows and shoot based on that so you tell me do i use this own system 
Pro- probably not. I think the no. is is more. It's quite specific. Aid, have you got any more familiarity with this? I I have some familiarity with the concepts, uh, but I can't say as I've ever applied them. And and that's not just because I don't do my own developing and printing. Um, you know, there are many uh things like Photoshop plugins and stuff like that that you can get these days that will will give you uh access to a a a digital version of the zone system. Um, but I've never used them. Mm. I mean, the the way uh, I've got the um. The negative the book, the Dance Lanterns book, the negative, which is um, good, and I mean it's a book I've dipped in and out of. I mean the thing with the Zone system, as uh, I suppose, is your, not... is your version covered in dust? <laughs> very much so. Bit like your ne- um, bit like your negatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Very funny. I mean, it's true, but that's not the point. Um, Maybe you should dust off your book and then reread it. I, I, I'd love to dust onto the negatives. That's the problem. But um, his his system, he when he was taking a picture um he was thinking about it all the way through so i mean the zone system talks about the different zones of shadow through to highlights and and, and breaking that into i think 10 zones and where you place what elements on but it goes further than just that than the exposure itself because he was taking into account well okay what paper am i going to print this on what and all of this was in his head when he was creating every image it's, it's an incredibly detailed way that he was thinking about um, and planning every shot um in a, a technical way that um, i um certainly a, a million miles away from not because i don't value it but because i'm just I have never put in the time and effort to learn that way. Um, but uh, the results that were achieved by it were spectacular because he got exactly the look he wanted because he knew exactly what he wanted when he took the picture. So he took it in a way. So he knew that how he was going to develop it, what developer he was going to use, what paper uh, is, yeah. Worth looking up if you want to go down a very deep dark hole. And those books are very good. I said the negative. I got it when I started developing at home, and I actually did find it very useful, um, even though I didn't dig into it in any huge depth. The next one is a um, BBC TV series, a six-one episode called "The Genius of Photography," uh, which is supposed to be very good. Um, you can apparently get that on Amazon. Uh, there is an episode about the British Greek photographer um, Platon uh, on abstract, a ne- abstract, a Netflix documentary series. Um, Platon is one of the uh, Pete's favourite photographers and has taken some of the most iconic portraits of today's world leaders. And he shoots on film. Um, Pete describes him as a modern day Yusuf Karsh. Uh, and as somebody who's a big fan of Yusuf Karsh's portraits, that sounds very appealing. So, um check that out that's plate on uh and we've got two more quick ones here the darkroom handbook by michael langford which is just a very good textbook anybody who wants to get set up at home in their own darkroom is a great place to start i have seen the book and flicked through it i don't think i own it because i haven't found a second-hand copy yet but it's very good and the last one um uh i'm trying to find it is uh Studio Baxton. Oh, there's a few. The Studio Baxton um, and um, 
Barite, which are both labs in Brussels in Belgium, where Pete is based. So apparently there's a very good scene in Belgium, Brussels. Anyway, um, like I said, there's lots of other stuff in the email, but those were just some of the bits I picked out. Thank you very much, Pete, for your long, uh, wonderful email, which I very much enjoyed reading. Um, and next time, don't leave it quite so long. Maybe write sooner, but more concise or shorter <laughs> chunks uh, would be great. That'd be great. Um, Aid, do you want to take the next one from Michael? Sure. Yeah, this one is from Michael Jin. And he says, hey, Sunbeams, I just wanted to gauge your thoughts on a topic I came across lately. Do you think that we as a community should take into account the direction that a company is heading when we make our decision to go out and purchase film? Or should we just purchase whatever film we happen to like best at the time? Ah, yes, here we go. Uh, of course, the biggest name that this involves is Fuji, who has discounted numerous stocks, made clear their plans to discontinue more, and now most recently is rumoured to be looking into potentially reviving their film production. This is despite other rumours that claim that the film that they have been selling is essentially cold stored stock they made in one last batch, and they've since gotten rid of all of their machinery. Hmm. When I purchase a film, I try to purchase films that I know will be around for some time because I like getting to know the emulsion and being able to rely on its predictable behaviour. This is largely the reason I've settled on Ilford, because unlike Kodak, who is only now bringing back stocks after cutting them, Ilford has been chugging along at it for some time now. Of course, I may buy some boutique film from time to time to try out new emulsions and support smaller manufacturers, but Ilford HP5+, FP4+, and PanF+, have become my mainstays due to my confidence that they will likely continue to be around as long as analogue photography is still a thing. On the colour end, it's a bit more complicated because there are fewer manufacturers than there are black and white. I know that there are tons of people who are fans of Fujifilm, so am I, because I think they have made some of the best colour film out there. Uh, but I struggle to recommend it to newer shooters for fear they may go to like it. <laughs> yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Get accustomed to it and then suddenly find it being discontinued. I don't shoot colour film personally, but from my standpoint, I would probably lean toward Kodak over Fuji here, simply because they are currently trending in the opposite directions, even if I might fully trust, might not fully trust either company to stick around long term. Counter-argument, of course, is that if we actively avoid purchasing Fuji films for fear that they'll go away, Fuji may interpret that as a lack of demand for their films, essentially ensuring their discontinuation. And going out of our way to purchase Fuji films would show them that there is a demand and perhaps encourage them to bring back some of the films the way Kodak has. I guess it's a bit like how so many people are saying that we should buy all of the Kodak P3200 we can to prove demand and encourage Kodak to produce it in more formats. Sorry, <laughs> you're doing very well. Another couple of paragraphs to go is fine. Given that we know that there are companies that are actively manufacturing film in the formats that we want, where do you stand on the issue of purchasing film from a company like Fuji or Kodak, whose future in the industry seems to be so uncertain? After all, every dollar we spend on a roll of film from a company that we're hoping will invest more in film is essentially a dollar that's not being spent toward a company that is currently out there investing in keeping film alive. Is it all that important that Fuji comes back into the game? Is it really all that important that Kodak P3200 comes out in 120 or 4x5 formats? Is it worth taking business away from companies that are already catering to us to try to get these other companies to pay attention? If I could do everything and support every manufacturer, I would. But I imagine I'm like most others in that I have a limited budget and I need to choose where it goes. Now, does... Oh, sorry. How how does this factor... Sorry. How does this issue factor into your film purchasing decisions or does it not factor at all? 
Well, well, uh, thank <laughs> well you very done, much, Abe. Michael. Um, yes, <laughs> I almost got to the end without fluffing it. Um, good, good question. Uh, who, I tell you what, um, how about let's ask Eric first, because I know, Eric, you have a very uh, particular choice of the films that you use. <laughs> well, I'm real open to films, but I think, I think there will come a time soon that Ilford's the largest film manufacturer. I think... Uh, Fuji, I think, is done. I think I, I'm pretty sure Fuji isn't making film anymore. And Kodak, as long as there's motion pictures being made, they'll probably still make film, but it's very secondary. And I know you had uh, the guy from from Kodak Polaris on, yeah. yeah, and that was a really great interview. And he seemed like a really sweet guy. And I hope that they stick around for a long time. But I'm not, I'm not counting on it. So I say support the little guys as much as you can uh ilford being the biggest of the little guys but you know there's a lot of different smaller film companies out there and some of them are just rebranded like the that silbera i believe is just rebranded stuff support them too rebranding certainly helps because it helps keep the rebrander in business which i suppose is important and it also helps keep the original companies in business and in their case it's orwo and a few others so yeah, support the little guys. Uh, forget about Fuji; it's not coming back. Okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> Graham, what do you? Does this impact you? Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly a thing I think about. Um, I, th- I think about it because you do hear uh, as you talk to people, talk to photographers. You know, it, it's an interesting. Photographers are very passionate, obviously, about what they're shooting, and so attached to that comes a lot of feelings about the way film goes and um as michael has indicated you know he he's clearly very loyal to ilford um and, and i'll listen to um mike uh, in particular on the negative positive podcast and you know, he's very loyal to kodak um and i'll hear um people who are on the other side of that who are very anti fuji at this point because um you know so everybody has strong feelings to a certain extent i don't feel like it is the responsibility of the consumer to um be thinking well i need when none of these businesses are charities and you should shoot what you want to shoot because you like shooting it and you feel good about shooting it not because you feel like oh i have to keep this company or that company in business um that that is sort of kind of a boss my feelings like, no it's up to the companies to behave in a way which and produce a thing which we want to use um and uh, yeah i mean I, I think the fact that we've seen such an increase in the boutique supplies is fantastic um uh, I, I i do think that spreading the love around a bit and trying different things is a good thing um you never want to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, so whether it's Ilford or Kodak or you know, like I, said, I don't think there's many people who are going to say, oh, yes, I only shoot Fuji at this point. But, you know, let's, let's say you were somebody who only wanted to shoot Fuji. And then as time has gone, your film has just been removed and removed and removed. And you, you find yourself going, well, what do I do now? And you have to start again. So um, but no, generally, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I just feel that. Your the thing that should affect your purchasing decision should be what you want to use in the camera, um, and 
enjoy the shooting and let the businesses worry about the business and you know let them let them get your business by being the most appealing choice for you rather than you needing to worry that they're going to go away i suppose that's where i fall on it a bit okay all right well there's two, two views there um if i could add a third uh try and focus on the bits of my view that disagree with you guys or add something to what you guys have already said because I, I i resonate with both of those views uh i don't i don't feel that the consumers have an obligation to support the companies um and i don't feel that the companies have an obligation to support the consumers either um you know so things change over time and change is a good thing right uh, if you ask my wife she'll tell you that i fundamentally believe that change is a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> and, and so yeah without trying to be hypocritical about it um yeah yeah there are some things that you know uh, uh i i like that that's you know that, that i require some stability from um but you know what photography for me is a hobby um i don't make my living from it i don't need to be consistent with it um it's a it's an expressive thing for me that i do in my spare time and um you know uh, things change over time i'm really loving shooting uh the lomo 200 tiger 110 um it's got a great warmth to it and you know what actually the the lomography color c40 on whatever 100 400 i don't even know what they call it um that can look good as well but equally i really love uh portrait and extra hectare and i really miss being able to get fuji superior but you know the world changes and the world moves on and i think yeah we're in a really positive place for film at the moment because rather than whittling it down to the apple versus microsoft equivalent or the nikon versus canon equivalent actually we have got loads of new startups and i think that's a really good thing and that diversity is going to be good for everybody i think so i'm all for it expanding and uh you know uh, buy what you want uh let it ebb and flow and um you know those that really catch the imagination of the public will grow into something bigger and uh and you know having said that well done everybody who's managed to start out because it's tough yeah it certainly is it certainly is what an incredible couple of years it's been seeing new it stuff has, appearing it has i mean yeah yeah who knew and and i know we've said this a lot in the past but we haven't said it recently i mean who knew when we started a film photography podcast we'd have a news to talk about <laughs> who knew we'd be reporting on the the massive increase in the number of film stocks you can buy you know who knew we'd be reporting on kickstarters for relaunching film cameras you know it's it's not a bad time, you know? It's not a bad time, and we should be grateful. There you go. Yeah, exactly. There's a, a camera, a used camera and, and film store that opened up a few blocks away from me just a couple months ago. That cool. doesn't make any sense. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. No, th things, th things are, it's a good time to be alive and in the film photography world. It is uh, definitely on an upward curve, which we are all enjoying at the moment. Um, got uh, another, I think this is, yeah, this is the last email for this week. Um, yeah, let's go to this one for the last email. This is from Neil Cole. Uh, Neil writes in, hello, Sunbeams. I've been listening to your show for a couple of months and I've been loving it. Thanks for the epic cheap shots challenge show. You hear that, Aid? epic it was epic it, it was certainly in a, was a ben -Hur. i was there i was yes it was very much the ben-hur of podcasts <laughs> i enjoyed except without a chariot race to wake you up in the middle <laughs> well, we had to cut that bit out for length um 
I enjoyed looking through the pool of really great photos from amazingly bad cameras and hearing your comments on them. Unfortunately, I didn't get my act together in time to enter. I have a shabby but working brownie number two that I got for $10 at an antique store that I'm planning to use for the next challenge, whatever it may be. Yes, we will hopefully, well, no, the, the, the show for that will be out soon. It's going to be a special midweek show, but it's not far off now. That won't be on. Um, I recently put a roll of Ilford Panef through a 1940s Zeiss Icon box tengor but earned $25 plus the roll of film, it was way too luxe for the challenge. <laughs> oh, we were, the, more, it's more yeah. of a guideline. <laughs> <laughs> the Box Tengor is a very high-end looking box camera, which is something of an oxymoron if you ask me, a very high-end looking box camera. All metal with a cable release socket, tripod screws, three focusing zones and several apertures to choose from. There's a mirror behind the taking lens, which makes this an early selfie camera. Don't let any of that fool you. At its core, it's still a really crappy box camera. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I have to, I, I've got two of them. I've got two different vintage uh, Zeiss Icon box tengors. And it, it's all relative. Um, it, it is still a box camera with all the inherent crappiness that goes with it, but it is probably the best of the box cameras. Uh, are these the ones that uh, have got lots of sort of inlaid wood and sort of Art Deco designs on them, or am I remembering something else? No, the, there is one that's got... There's a one called the Bow Brownie, which is a Kodak camera, which has got very um, Art Deco design to it. But no, this is this is a slightly different one. Oh, right. um, I've, I've recently... One of my... Um, gardening clients uh, said to me oh I've, I've got all these um old negatives uh i don't know what to do with them so i went oh give them to me i'll scan them for you and my client is i think my client's 84 and some of these are his baby pictures so it's been pretty <laughs> cool actually. but um you can tell that the cameras are, the, there's a couple of cameras that are used as he as the, the negatives gone but the early one i would have to guess is a box camera and yeah at then as now with um, home, lots of blurry, out of focus pictures. Um, you know, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's nice. You like to think that oh, everything shot in the old days was lovely and wonderful. No, there's lots of just rubbish junk of photos. Um, anyway, getting back to this. Um, as proof of the crappiness of this box camera, I've attached a picture made at Penn Treaty Park near where I live in Philadelphia. It's a lovely place right on the river near a disused but majestic power station, which is in the background of the photo. The blurry mess is about as in focus as things get with this camera, except at the closest focus zone, which has a spot that's astoundingly sharp if you manage to get the subject into it. As horribly soft as the photo is, I still like the tones in it. Pan F really shines in these old box cameras. The park is where, in 1683, William Penn signed the treaty with the local Lenape. Lenape? Let's go with Lenape. 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 Thank you, Eric. I should have known mm -hmm. you know was tribe to ensure peace for the new colony of Pennsylvania. The treaty was signed under an elm which blew over in a storm in 1810. In 2010, there was a ceremony commemorating the 200th anniversary of the Elm Tree's demise, attended by <laughs> that's, many... That's really odd. Surely the signing of the treaty is way more important than a tree falling over. You don't know Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Uh, attended by many well-bearded Quakers and Lenape. An out-of-town friend said that only in Philadelphia would there be a ceremony commemorating a <laughs> oh, tree falling over. Oh, there you go. There over. you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
um there's a mini review of the camera on my website where you can see the mirrored taking lens and a few more sample photos uh, and i will try and remember to leave the link in the show notes for this week's show uh thank you very much for that neil that's great um i, I quite like my little zeiss icon i've shot with one of my zeiss icons and the pictures uh they, they weren't bad by box camera standards they weren't bad they have they've got a decent lens in um you've mucked around with box cameras haven't you eric you've got a big box camera oh i have the 4x5 box but my favorite box is the the brownie number two i shoot with that pretty well every time i go out i love it yeah mm, yeah. yeah i've got a brownie number two box camera they're nice i've only yeah i've got a folder number two a anyway Box no, cameras are good fun. Box, yeah, really I'm afraid I don't have a box camera, but I, I do have a story I can add to this, seeing as we're talking about historical stories. Um, and I, I, I don't think I've ever told this story on this show. So uh, the one of the biggest um, owners of land in London is a chap called the Duke of Westminster. And the reason that's important for this story is he happens to own the land on which the US embassy is built. Mm. And uh, at some point, uh, so, so a few decades ago, uh, the, the United States government uh, made a, a request to the Duke of Westminster of, of would he sell them the land? Now, would he, or actually, I think they asked, would he give them the land so that they could also they could own the land that the embassy was built on? So the land itself is, you know, as with all embassies, it's still, you know, uh, designated as U.S. land, but they don't actually own it. And uh, anecdotally, and I'm sure this is entirely apocryphal, but I love the story. Um, he said, I would very, I'd be very happy to consider granting you the land for the U.S. Embassy. Uh, if you could kindly return to me the state of Virginia, which you, <laughs> which you stole from my family <laughs> in, I don't know, 1779 or something like that. <laughs> Then, like then, fair. Then, then, yeah, then, fair. Then, then, then we've got yeah. a negotiation to have. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, that's going to do it for the emails this week. There's a couple of things I would like to draw listeners' attention to before we clear off. The first one uh, is Aid's favourite thing because he loves it because it's August and it's happening. It's the emulsive secret Santa. Um, now, listeners who were listening last year will have already heard about this. And if you are on Twitter or Instagram and you're following uh, any of the community, you will, I'm sure, have seen it now. But the Emulsive Secret Santa 2018 is now open for um, public registration. Now that it's earlier in the month, it was opened up to people who had previously been involved. Now it is open to everybody. If you are not familiar with the Secret Santa, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, it's a pretty great thing. In a nutshell, um, by signing up to it, what you agree to take part in is to sending to some other photographer, some other film photographer somewhere else in the world or in your own country if you don't want to post to the rest of the world, but um, a Christmas present. Uh, and in exchange, somebody else will send you a Christmas present. That's kind of the, the long and short of it. Um, I think there's a $20 minimum that you have to spend. But other than that, you know, it, go wild on it. People do some amazing stuff. There's all sorts of wonderful things that go along with the Most Secret Santa. Uh, and also, as well as people sending gifts to people, which is just a nice thing in itself, um, there are sponsors involved uh, this year. I think there are more sponsors than ever. The full list isn't out yet. There's a lot more news to come. But if you want to find out more about the Emulsive Secret Santa, then just go to emulsive.org 
and search it on there and you'll find plenty of stuff on there. Um, there's a great article on last year's and um, the registration for this one is um, it's not complicated. Um, and if you listen to any other film photography podcast, you'll probably hear M from Emulsive pop up on it and talk about it at length. Uh, we aren't going to get M on this podcast. <laughs> he's been on too many uh, times. <laughs> he's been on too many times. He's just uh, suffering from chronic overexposure, which is never a good thing. But we are going to be having a far more delightful guest on uh, very soon to talk about the real power behind the throne of the Emulsive Secret Santa. So that's going to be happening very soon. So I look forward to that um, because there is a new element to the Secret Santa this year, which I am really excited about. We can't talk about it yet, um, but we will be talking about it very, very soon. Um, so listen out for that. And as I said, in the meantime, if you haven't heard of Secret Santa before, go and just just Google Emulsive Secret Santa. It is a cornucopia of delight from previous years. Uh, and if you have heard about it and you haven't signed up yet, get on it. Um, I say this as neither I nor Aid, and I doubt Rach has it yet either because we're disorganized. But um, I know that <laughs> already I think over 600 people at last count have done. And it's only been open for less than a month. So it's going to be big this year. It, it is going to be big this year. And as much as I would love to berate m uh or even set fire to his underground bunker for for making me uh think about christmas whilst i still have an ice cream in my other hand um <laughs> uh it, it is a lot of fun um and i was in it last year and and it was a lot of fun it was nice to be able to send somebody a package it was nice to receive something um and, and so yeah it, it is it is fun it is fun yeah and it's also august and it's also <laughs> I, I got paired because you get paired with one person and then you get a present from another person. So it's not a backwards and forwards. You get it's all. Uh, and I sent a previous email on this show, Toby Vanderbilt, amongst other things, a, a wind up plastic snowman and a um, beatbox. What's the Oh, God, oh, was, to- was Toby your, 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 your designated receiver of gifts last year? Yeah, he was. Oh. Uh, uh, and a, a really rubbish beatbox musical instrument of sorts. I can't remember the name of the things are called now. But it's the thing where you touch a metal thing against another thing and it makes it looking a beeping noise. Um, it was great. It was really one. I did send him some film as well. Don't worry, listeners. But um, yeah, it's good fun. The other thing I just want to remind everybody about, because it is coming close to the end, is the Analog Wonderland and Kodak Alaris Summer Holidays competition. Um, there is still time to get your entries in for that. Uh, go to the Analog Wonderland website to find all the information there um you have got until the 3rd of september to get your entry submitted there is the two categories there's the proficient and the beginner they've been sharing lots of pictures on their instagram and twitter feeds uh, analog wonderland and the pictures have been stunning uh, the number of brilliant pictures i've seen have been apparently people who've only been shooting less than a year is sickening to me because they're all better than i'm doing um and there is still time to get the free roll of kodak color plus film from them so if you order any kodak film from analog wonderland up until the 3rd of september you get not only a roll of kodak color plus film now because it was a roll of 24 exposures now it's a roll of 36 exposure called kodak color plus film so there's even more incentive to get on there and do that and um encourage people with this role of film, to take up film photography, get out there and badger somebody into having a go uh, at trying film photography, share your stories of how that goes with the hashtag first frame of fun. And um, 
yes, get your entries in for the actual competition itself at the um, Analog Wonderland. You'll find the full details there. Um, and be in with a chance to win a goodie bag with lots of lovely Kodak film in. Uh, and you will also get one of the first rolls of Kodak Ektachrome when it becomes available. Uh, we don't know when exactly that will be. But as mentioned earlier on the podcast, it is out in the hands of people. There are people out there like Sandra who are beta testing the film now. And I'm seeing some really nice pictures appearing on Instagram. Um, if you want to see what Ector Chrome's looking at, just go on Instagram, find Sandra Cohen's film feed. Uh, she's been showing loads of pictures lately, not just, and it's all studio work for the most part. Um, and it looks fantastic, really lovely tones for that kind of work. She's also done some comparisons with what it's like overexposed and underexposed. You can start to see how it's performing uh, I don't think we're far away from that film dropping, which is great. It's It feels like it's been a bit of a wait for it, although it really hasn't been all that long. But um, I'm excited to see it. Are you guys excited by the prospect of Kodak Ektachrome landing soon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're both awful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's. I'm glad I'll have something to shoot in 20 years. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I need to be allowed to weather for you. I think... Uh, <laughs> Andre Andre Dominguez is excited enough about it for everybody. I think he's trying to basically sell everything else he owns just so he can buy a lifetime supply of Ectochrome all in one go. Bless his little cotton socks. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a lover. I'm a lover of Kodak product, but I'm I'm, I'm not particularly uh, hanging out for this one. So you're not your slide film's just not a thing you've really got into, is it, Aid? Well, no, and and to be honest, I don't shoot a lot of black and white either. I mean, the, these days I've done it. Yeah, you know, I do have my branches where I experiment, and I like to keep that. But yeah, you know, if it comes down to something that I I want to do with some level of knowledge of what the camera's going to do, knowledge of what the film's going to do, somewhere where the output of the experience is important to me as well as the process. Uh, I, I've narrowed that down to a, a small number of, of films and cameras and things these days. Um, but that, that's OK, because I still have my fun experimental side as well, where I just muck about and try all these new things. So, yeah, it's just the way I roll. It's the way you 35mm and roll. Yes. Film. Absolutely. Oh, well, yes, 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 and that too. Um, uh, which which minor jest seems to suggest we're running out of interesting things to say on this. Hey, show. that was great. That was a hilarious <laughs> pun based on Rolf. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Do, okay. Do you still do shout outs, or is we, that a thing of the past? No, we we we, we can do shout outs. You got somebody you want to shout out to? Two people, actually. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't usually meet photographers, uh, period. I don't do, I don't do people. Um, so I met over the weekend, Jaina Obscura. I don't know if you, um, follow mm -hmm. her on Instagram, uh, really fun local, uh, street photographer, I guess. I really am enjoying her, her, I've, I've been for years enjoying her shots. It's, it's really fun. Um, and also, I've been kicking ideas and bouncing ideas off of um, Brandy. Uh, her name on Instagram is Film Diary of a Redhead with dashes or underscores under mm. in between all of those words. Um, her she does mostly film, but she does also a 365 day portrait challenge thing that she's doing, and that's digital. But it was it's neat to see someone who's. I, I don't know. I don't do portraits, but not great 
at portraits at the beginning churning out some amazing work and it just shows that if you kind of kind of stick to something and set a goal like i'm going to do this every day you get good at it and she's gotten really really good at it so just check those out mm. yeah good chance i i i heard um uh oh you have to remember the film diary of a redhead well yeah <laughs> what, what's the name again eric sorry it's got anthony brandy brandy um, yeah yeah, I heard Brandy on uh, last week. I think it was episodes of Film Photo Geeks. Uh, so if you want to yes. hear her there. Also, um, and I, I knew the name rang a bell, um, Jana Obscura, Jana Obscura rather, um, was on episode 19 of the Lensless podcast, the, um, the oh, pinhole right. podcast that right. uh, past guests, um, God, my brain just absolutely brank. Past best, part, Pete Best, Corey Cannon, past guest, Corey Cannon, and Andrew Bartram, <laughs> very good friend of the show, uh, host, um, and they've had some great guests. They had uh, previously double aforementioned Toby Vanderveld on this week, just gone, and this next week, I think they have got um, Justin Quinnell, uh, the wonderful pinhole photographer who we spoke to back in 2017 on, uh, and he's always wonderful to listen to, so I cannot wait to hear that show. So yeah, that's the Lensless podcast, the pinhole podcast. Uh, so check those out to hear uh, Jaina and Brandy and everybody else. Awesome stuff. Cool. Yay. Okay. Well, that then, if there's shout outs, that then gives us, I think it brings us to the uh, end of the show. So, Eric, uh, well, thank you for being, as Graham said, our co host for this week. Have you yeah. enjoyed your uh, new, newly senior post? <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, I've got a nice office with a view and a bigger desk now. It's, it's wonderful. I, I appreciate it. The benefits package is second to none. <laughs> <laughs> excellent i'm very glad to, uh, very glad to hear it very glad to hear it um uh, and uh, so for the benefit of our listeners um uh, where can they go to to catch up with your work um instagram is probably the best place i am conspiracy of cartographers with dots between the words okay conspiracy of cartographers on instagram yes. great well thank on you thank you very much and uh well we i hope we get to speak to you again soon uh thank you for being on the show um and thank you to graham for being on the show as well and any last mentions or any any other business anybody the only thing i just wanted to ask uh, eric quickly is can we expect another edition of the conspiracy of cartographers this year um, i am maybe Maybe. <laughs> well we'll watch this space eric we'll watch this space. <laughs> yeah we'll see okay all right well that is then uh the end of our show as always it has been an honor and privilege to talk to you all uh you can get in touch with us at sunny 16 podcast on pretty much any internet platform you care to think about uh but it's especially uh we love having emails uh sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com and uh, if you're still catching up or still wading through the mammoth show from last week uh, all of those images from the cheap shots challenge are available on our website which is sunny16podcast.com uh, we'll play you out now uh, with the music from Rachel's band Rocker and you can get their albums on Amazon or iTunes or probably one other but I can't remember off the top of my head sorry Rach um, <laughs> that's it we'll be back next week take care goodbye bye 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 bye